The effects of the war in Ukraine is, of course, modern tactics and kits are being tested on the battlefield in real time. But the implications for tactics, the use of drones, the use of low Earth orbit satellites, the multi-domain integration that Ukraine has achieved, it's been incredible change. Today on the Friday Fix, we speak to Kevin Craven, the CEO of ADS Group, one of the UK's leading trade organisations representing the aerospace, defence, security and space sectors ahead of next week's DSEI show in Docklands. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. In advance of the DSEI show next week, depends very much in the news at present. We've got a new Defence Secretary. What are the big themes that we're likely to see at next week's show? So good afternoon and really good to talk to you. I think the big themes that stand out for me, so first of all, the headline theme of the show is about an integrated force, multi-domain integration being the buzzword at the moment, where the capabilities, communications, sensors, things that produce an effect on a battlefield are all integrated across space, land, sea, air, cyber, to produce the best possible picture for a battlefield commander and how you manage that. So you're going to see lots of tech, lots of capability around that. If we looked at more cross-cutting themes, I think international partnerships will be a big one. You know, we've clearly got GCAP, we've got AUKUS, big government-to-government programs that tens of billions of pounds and tens of thousands of jobs across decades And then you've got the normal sort of international partnership themes. Uh, We have the latest figures I heard in a meeting not half an hour ago was over 95 countries coming, uh, 110 delegations, uh, 1,100 industrial engagements with those delegations. So a really busy week. That is up to three times what we saw in 2019. Those would be a couple of the big themes. And then supply chain resilience uh, and supply chain more generally. We, ADS, have 190-odd smaller companies and SMEs exhibiting in our international pavilion uh, at the show. There will be a lot of panel events and discussion around how we find the right kind of finance support for those SMEs. They bring innovation. They bring creativity. They bring flexibility and agility, but what they don't bring is scale and depth. And it's how you balance the two out against each other. It's it's interesting you talk about just the sheer scale of of DSCI this time around. We kind of clearly defence a global industry. Where does the UK fit when it comes to the the, the global defence market? Firstly, it's a very important industry in the UK and, you know, we contribute something like 23 billion of revenue to the economy, around about 10 billion of value add in terms of GDP and 150,000 employees. So huge part of the UK economy. On the world stage, still incredibly important. We're very well renowned for the quality of our kit. The recommendation that comes from kit being used by our military is very highly regarded indeed. In terms of those countries that publish their defence export statistics, we don't always know exactly what uh, some of our peer competitors are doing. We are second in the global list of defence exporters, second to the US. 
together with being part of NATO and other international alliances and therefore having the requirement for interoperable kit, you can see why we're much sought after. You touched on it there. We are seen as being very good at what we do in this space. UK defence names seen as that almost kind of kite mark of quality. I guess with that comes the inevitable uh, interest from, from companies and acquirers overseas. We've seen a number of large UK names acquired in recent years. Should we be worried about that? Yeah, it's a balanced picture here, James. All trends, if taken to an extreme, become worrying. And at the moment, there is a structural difference in the valuations between defence companies on the US stock exchange and those in the UK. That means that our UK assets look remarkably cheap. And because of that quality and that reputation, they're very attractive. So we have seen a number of assets moving into particularly US ownership. Broadly, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. One is that we are, as a country, very open to investment. That makes it attractive for companies to come and trade here. Secondly, the government has got better in recent years in terms of making sure that some of our IP and some of our workforce and production capacity stays in the UK through some legislation called the National Security and Investment Act. We also get to be part of that global supply chain in terms of bigger entities. Against that, you know, there is emerging a little bit of a gap between the very small guys and the very big guys because all of the medium-sized guys are being acquired. So I think it's something that has to be regarded in the round and thought about strategically. And I'm pleased to say that the government is now taking that responsibility quite seriously. I think in the past it's been perhaps a little bit laissez-faire, but we are now, I think, in reasonable shape. And it's not something we should seek to be protectionist about particularly, but it is something we've got to keep an eye on in order to preserve a domestic, strong, capable defence industry. You're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. And I think that kind of sovereign capability point is is absolutely key. And I suppose it's not all one-way traffic and you can't look at things through just one end of the telescope. We've had BAE Systems and the Ball Corporation deal fairly recently. Fantastic to see BAE continuing to make giant inroads into the US. I guess just switching tack slightly, obviously, when it comes to international interest in defence and kind of interest in British kit in particular, we can't not talk about Ukraine and we can't not talk about the role that the UK has played in the defence of Ukraine. Just talk me through what you think the implications of the Ukraine war could be for the UK defence industry, on not just an international standard, but I guess on a more national footing as well. The effects of the war in Ukraine is, of course, modern tactics and kits are being tested on the battlefield in real time. You know, one of the things that has stood out has been the quality of the British kit, together with the readiness of the UK government to be standing up and supplying Ukraine. That's been really helpful. But the implications for tactics, the use of drones, the use of low Earth orbit satellites the multi-domain integration that uh, Ukraine has achieved by using their citizens' domestic apps and things like that. I mean, it's been incredible change in terms of how a war being fought in a modern industrial country has evolved. Those lessons are being learned by manufacturers and are being turned around in terms of kits and capabilities being evolved to meet these new requirements. 
also seeing the reduction and drawdown in stockpiles. One of the interesting consequences of that is all of the old kit and the old stock has been used up. And now when we're ordering new kit, there have been upgrades. Against that, you've got equally the recognition that the peace dividend since the Berlin Wall came down, the need for very large stockpiles and refresh of capabilities and fighting equipment has perhaps been run down slightly. Standing those bigger stockpiles up, investing heavily in the frequent refresh of kit, that's become more imperative. And as you say, the world sadly is is seeing in real time the horrendous war in Ukraine play out. People obviously more aware than ever of the importance in defending nations against aggressors. Kind of looking ahead to the future, what does the UK's armed forces of 2040, say, look like in terms of troop numbers? Are we going to see more investment in areas such as space, cyber, etc., grey war zone? Keen to get your, your very top line crystal ball gazing, if you will. Yeah, it's going to be very top line, I'm afraid. Um, There's no question that the forces of the future will both in some ways be very familiar. You know, boots on the ground, the importance of that has been proved yet again. But that tactical communications and sensing capability that you refer to, that is going to continue to increase in importance. The ability to process vast amounts of data using AI is going to be, again, something that is major. So your next generation of fighters are going to be much more data aware, more technologically advanced. You are going to see differences in the way the tactics evolve as well. Artillery continues to be important. Infantry continues to be important. We are probably still going to have armored vehicles on those battlefields. And we're going to see substantial evolution in the way maritime warfare evolves. Hypersonic missiles, which is already emerging in Ukraine. You're going to see carrier groups and things becoming more vulnerable. So defences will have to evolve to do that. So I think you're going to see probably not huge increases in the size of the UK's armed forces. I think we as a society are probably not prepared to spend a greater proportion of the national budgets on defence. It may go up a little bit, so I certainly hope so. I think it'll be much the same size, but certainly greater reliance on technological capability. You know, I think Britain will still be looked to as a competent and capable leading partner in any military alliance going forward. So those alliances like NATO, the treaty arrangements like AUKUS, the GCAP program, uh, where we have three nations with a fourth wanting to join on future sixth generation fighters, those sorts of ultra expensive platforms will continue to develop and we will see more of those But because they're so expensive, you'll probably see fewer of them, which will mean that allies will need to collaborate and potentially become specialists in particular capabilities, i.e. I can only afford to do one ultra expensive thing, so let me become a specialist and I'll rely on my neighbour to do something else. Lastly, before we let you go, we're talking about long-term future there. We've actually, in the near term, got a brand new Defence Secretary. He joined the sector only last week. What's the kind of near-term priorities for Grant Shapps when it comes to his new post? 
So firstly, we should welcome Grant to the role. It's one of the more difficult roles in government, very technically complex. So getting up to speed on the domain and the needs and requirements of our armed forces is going to be critical for Grant as he comes in. We know him very well from the DFT and he's a very competent and capable minister. I think he needs to concentrate on first commitment to U Ukraine and supporting them. Ben Wallace won us huge kudos around the world and particularly in the allies of Ukraine in terms of our steadfast support, the agility of our response and the quality of the kit that we have sent to Ukraine. Always in the entry for the Defence Secretary is Defence Procurement, House of Commons Select Committee, a report recently was quite challenging. Good news is that the Defence Equipment and Supply Agency has absolutely acknowledged much of those criticisms and is already on the way to fixing them. And we've seen that improvement already. Developing the tech base and the interface with industry would be a really important thing. The recent strategies, Defence Command White Paper, Refresh, was very strong on that, but implementing those plans and bringing industry into early capability development processes would be great. And, you know, finding a way to integrate industry into the rapid supply chains and restocking would be a good thing too. That's brilliant. Kevin Craven of ADS, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure.